0: It's an honor to be here this morning. Um, Humbled that you would ask me to do this. Uh, John and I have an interesting relationship. Uh, I worked at another church in Sheboygan and got fired. Um, (laughs) Some of you may know about it, right? (laughs) We got some history together. So anyway, still not quite sure why I got fired, but it happened. And I know we kind of reconnected and he was suspect of me. And I was completely suspect because of any religious leader, because I was like, you guys are all dumb. Um, I know, I'm going to say the thing everybody thinks but never says, so anyway. And I am I am a pastor, so I can say it. It's cool. And if I offend you today, you'll get over it or not, but I'm here because he asked me to, not because I'm trying to entertain anybody else. Um, but I'll be real with you, like... Uh, what Sam said, I'll echo, and I've said this to you multiple times, but I've worked in ministry for a while now, and I've worked in really big churches, and there are a lot of CEOs in ministries, but there are very few fathers of the faith. A father wants their son to be better than, than them, right? They, they're pushing them forward, trying to help them advance, and, you know, unfortunately, most of my experiences work-wise have been CEOs, where when you start to rise a little bit above, they they need to bring you back because they're threatened by their position, and so you've been a father of the faith. And that is, that's incredible, and then there's a little bit of a fear factor, because Pastor Sam, we need more fathers, right? Pastor Joel, when you watch this, we need more fathers, because if we don't start raising up fathers in the ministry, there won't be sons who are raised the right way to take hold of it. And so what happens is we start to reproduce this system of dysfunction, much like we see in our own society today. And so it's my prayer that God will raise up more fathers. But you're done. So you ain't got to do that no more. Um, so, Pastor, I, I brought you something. You're working in a school now, right? So I brought you a graphic tee that we made. It says, Therapy is dope. (laughs) Yes. And you're like, What's this about? Well, okay. 2019, Pastor John is my crazy idea guy. I have ADD and issues, right? Every time I had a crazy idea, I would call Pastor John. So in 2019, I called John. I said, I have this idea. I want to start a, a drug and alcohol treatment center, behavioral health. So I, I actually had no idea what it was going to turn into. But in my nuts? Am I running from my calling? What, what do you think? And he fully encouraged me to do it. So that shirt is yours, man. Um, Appreciate the crazy you've helped create in my life, as well as pastoring still at the same time and figuring all that out. Um, And so I appreciate that. And and use it, but then do it. Get therapy. Um, I'm in therapy. I'm in therapy because I'm a pastor, to be real honest with you. Right? Some people are like, brother, all you need is Jesus. No, I work with you. I need more. So anyway... Um, I did call John, and I'm say, I asked him, I was like, are you for real sure I'm the guy to do this? Because because uh, God started putting some stuff on my heart, and um, he's like, no, no, I know God told me to do this. So, um, Cindy, this is for you. You don't have to open it yet, because I'm going to read it to you. See, because here's the real. Like, today we're celebrating Pastor John, but often most of the unsung heroes are the family that backs them. Okay. Cindy, I I know we're called to be the priests of the home, but more and more I'm convinced my wife is the prophet like a prophet her words are not often liked or received well at first <laughs> but without fail she's often right and constantly i constantly find myself saying i should have listened to my wife so i know john and i have often shared these same sentiments i've I, we've not really gotten to know each other much but because of the relationship i've had with john i've earn the right at times here, his highlights and his lowlights. And he has often shared with me and tried to help me see some of the mistakes that he helps I wouldn't make, that he admits that if he had it to do over again, he would do a little bit different. Um, I prepared some specific words for you, Cindy. I feel the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and it better be him because I woke up at 4 (laughs) a.m. to write this. And I'm not a morning person. I'm not one of them preachers that gets up. I was up at four in the morning praying for it. No, four, five, six don't often come twice a day for me. So <laughs> it better be God. And a, don't turn your back to the audience, but it ain't about them. It's you. So Cindy, these are the words I felt the Holy Spirit spoke. And as a, as a son of the faith, as this man being my pastor, I'm just going to speak on your behalf as well. We are going to thank them, and then we're also going to apologize for where we have fallen short. Okay? Cindy, thank you, and today I proclaim both God and we see you. We love you, and we appreciate you, though today is our loss. Today is your much-deserved gain. Cindy, you've sacrificed much for God and this church family, and today we thank you. We honor the sacrifice you made for the kingdom and us, but I feel those words are easy to say and trite if we do not name the sacrifices you've made. Cindy, we want you to know we see you. We see the times you had to rearrange or delay your plans when something happened to us just so your husband could stop what he was doing and support us during our grief, fear, pain, and sickness. For that, we say thank you, and at the same time, please forgive us for not recognizing that you needed a husband and your children needed a father, often more than we needed our perceived needs met. Today we recognize the many times you spent alone just so your husband could minister to us. We see the strength it took for you to adapt to ministry demands, and we apologize for the tension we often created, as if you were doing something wrong for the natural longing of desiring your husband, because there was not enough of him to go around causing you to feel like that desire was selfish, when that desire was godly, and as you well know, unhealthy expectations of a congregation and a young and dumb pastor intent on saving the world often hurt ones who called called, were called to love most. For all this, we thank you and at the same time repent. And we pray forward, we will do better. Cindy, please forgive us for the times we're thoughtless, thoughtless when we felt we needed something. We sometimes took no consideration for what you may have been doing or what you had going on. So please forgive us for unnecessary interruptions to your life with our burdens. Cindy, thank you for your grace and kindness, despite the many thoughtless words that would often come from our mouths. And please forgive us for our unsolicited advice. Please forgive us for the moments we elevated and demoted you and your family as an example for our convenience. And also, please forgive us for not thinking about how our thoughtless words may sound or make you or your family feel. Cindy, thank you for showing us the example of what a gracious and loving mother looks like. Thanks for holding it down. When we often demanded more from Pastor John, your husband, than was humanly possible, thank you for your lioness-like approach. When sometimes out of our own insecurity, we would come at your kids and you would defend them unapologetically. It's a bad plan to get between a mama and her cubs. And sometimes we brought the fierce out of you, but thanks for showing us how Christ often fights for us as you fought for your children. And please forgive us for our lack of healthy boundaries. Cindy, thank you for sharing your husband with us. Thank you for spiritually and often practically leading your husband well. Thank you for keeping him grounded and not allowing him to be consumed by the self-made tsunami our culture has created called the American Church. Thank you for being willing to be the prophet in Pastor John's life, and often is the case with a genuine prophet. Your words are not well received and liked at first, but at time, often, as time often reveals, your words were sent from the throne of God to a man that nobody but you and Jesus loves more selflessly. Lastly, thank you for sharing the thing that drew you to this man when you first met his heart. And please forgive us for figuratively and literally consuming that heart. It's my prayer that forward, the latter years of your lives will be greater than the former years. You too and your children have sowed a lot. And unapologetically, my prayer is you have a hundredfold harvest of joy forward. The on, and, and I pray also forward, the only ministry that consumes pastor is the one to his wife, his children, and now his grandchildren, and even his extended family who are often overlooked because we too often prioritize the immediate demand for the people in our lives and neglect the ones that mean the most. To all of this, we say thank you. Pastor Sam, Pastor Joel, Board of Elders. I brought copies of that letter. The morning I shared that with my wife, I held her while she cried. Because unfortunately, that's really way too common for pastors. Church, arise, do better. Do better. Steward your pastor well. Steward his wife and his family well. Pastor Sam, let's not have to write this about ourselves. There's no greater thing I think we could walk away with, and we say, "You know what? I'm going to learn from this, and I'm doing better forward." Family, children. Jer's not here, right? Is Jer here? Jer's here. Okay. Nate, Lizzie, Anna, Leah. Covered it. You guys. Who am I missing? Someone? Okay. As I've talked about Pastor John, I've said, father of the faith. Sometimes to be our father, he wasn't always the best one of yours. In the church, again, there are many CEO pastors, few fathers. And your, 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 your dad has been that to us. John's the father of the ministry. He's not a CO. And without John, I'd not be where I am today. That said, sometimes you have had to make sacrifices, I've stood at many of a graveside of a former soldier and after taps is played, I watch a Marine kneel down, hand a flag to a family member and say these words, on behalf of the President of the United States, the United States Marine Corps and a grateful nation, please accept this flag as a symbol of our appreciation for your loved ones, honorable and faithful service. Today on behalf of God who was and is and forever will be in the countless lives who've been impacted and forever changed by the ministry of your family, please accept this as a token of our appreciation. I told John I'd do this. This part I didn't tell him. (laughs) So I was like, well, what do you give him? Like, give him a flag? No, that's dumb. (laughs) Um, What I'm going to give you is what my wife is trying to teach me, which is she doesn't like stuff. She wants experiences. So um, the church wrote me a check as a thank you. That needs to be remade out to them. And I'm going to add $1,000 of our money to it. Stop, I'm not done, (laughs) for the John Teshon Family Vacation Fund. That you guys can go together, have it look. a 1,000 is not enough, so y'all need to come with it. Like, I'm going Pentecostal. I'm from a charismatic church, okay? So I'm about to go real Pentecostal on you. I need some people here today to add to this so that we can let them go and have some great memories together. It will not make up for all that you have sacrifices, but it's a really good start to give you an opportunity to hang out, to spend some time together. So, who's the planner in the family? Where at? Okay. Okay. Who, wait, who are you? You're the planner? I'm his kid, but it's okay. You're about to take my money? Yeah, of course. I got people here that. <laughs> Is it okay to give it to him? Man, sit back down. Get out of here. Don't try to hustle a hustler. What you know? <laughs> Here you go. Make sure they get that. Get that reissue to you guys. It's made out to the church. Your vacation fund in the memo. Um, and I would honestly, I really want to encourage some of you to consider adding to it. Because I think sending them away someplace warm, beautiful, where they can hang out, is a great way to thank them for all that this family has sacrificed for you. We're good at honoring the man. We often drop the ball when it comes to honoring those who have held them up throughout the whole time. So anyway, that was just the warm-up. Let's go. Um, I'm careful with the words I'm about to say. What time do I have to be done? Whatever. All right. That's dangerous, Dustin. I'm careful the words I'm about to say, but there's no other way to say them. I feel like I'm here with a prophetic word. Now, listen, I understand that word has been used, abused to manipulate churches for years. Here's how I come with that, with this mindset. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to challenge you to think. As pastor asked me to do this message, as I thought about what I should say, I'm not going to get up. He would be upset if I got up here and just go, oh, my gosh, John's just the best guy ever. We love him, right? You guys will do all that for me. I feel like what God has put on my heart is to challenge this church because though your season is ending, yours is not. And there's nothing better for a father than to see their children rise and become who it is that God has called them to be. And there's nothing that will fill his heart more than seeing you fulfill the ministry that God has put this church to do. Um, So here's the whole mindset about a prophet. Test my words. You have a Bible. You have the Holy Spirit. I can and do miss it. In fact, if you want to get real down to it, according to Jesus and Paul, all religious leaders are blind guides at best, or excuse me, uh, nearsighted at best, blind guides at worst. All right? So we can just start with that right there. You're like, what is he talking about? You'll get it. Anyway, so during COVID, I felt the Holy Spirit begin to speak to my heart. He started to serve something. I'm a firm believer COVID did not create a lot of the situations we've seen. It It just kind of revealed them. It revealed how dependent people's spirituality is on others. It revealed how ministry set people, my ministry, let's just talk personal, my ministry was setting people up to need me and to be their source when I'm not big enough to hold that. So during that season, I felt like God began to to change some things and and really begin to, to redirect me. Now, I've always been one of those preachers that I like, you know, the topical preacher and love to get up there and make you laugh and have a good time and all that. And I felt like God started moving some things a little different. He was calling me to to preach a book of the Bible, which I've never done that before. That was not really my background. But he started leading me to the book of Joshua. Because I felt like we were in that season that Joshua was in. Think about it. As we were coming out of COVID, I heard my congregation talk a lot about, we can't wait till we get back to how it was in 2019. We kept hearing, go back, go back, right? That sounds a lot like Egypt talked. Show me any place in the Bible where God has vision and the talk is to go back and not forward. And so as God began to, to birth this in my heart, he started to lead me there started to start, show me some things that I never saw before. I felt like there was a lot we could learn from Joshua. And as I started to, to dive into this and, and get into it, here's what I felt like the Lord spoke to me. He said, back was not better, simply more familiar. See, some of you, as this new Pastor Joel comes in, you're going to want, well, it's not like that. But listen, if it was God's intent for John to take it to the next level, he'd still be here. But God is moving something new. He's birthing a new thing. And you're going to have to come behind that calling if you're going to fulfill what God has called you to do as a church. Because here's what the point of this message is, church, real talk. A faithful pastor, I used to think it was like, again, the CEO church, right? When you're with the CEO, it's all about the vision of the CEO. And dare you get in the way of the vision or you will be run over and consumed. But as a pastor, I'm not called to be a CEO. Often the most faithful pastors I've ever seen are the ones who are willing to wander with their sheep. Pastor Moses. Can we talk about Pastor Moses for a minute? Because that's who Joshua is about to supersede. Like Pastor Moses was a pastor. Now Moses had an interesting story, interesting background, right? Some of you, if you've got a faith background, you know it. If not, I'll just give you a quick highlight. So anyway, Moses was born Hebrew when it wasn't a good good idea to be born a Hebrew boy. They put him in a river, flowed him down the river, and he got found in the uh, princess of Egypt's Bath. And she picks him up and she decides she's going to adopt him. And so she raises this Hebrew boy as an Egyptian. Here's the problem with Moses. He's way too Egyptian to be Hebrew and now he's too Hebrew to be Egyptian. He doesn't fit in. God often doesn't let leaders fit in. Leaders often have to stand out amongst the rest because if they fit in, they're not going to be able to fulfill their call. And so, so Moses begins to feel like he's got something special on his life, and he sees this moment where where a, a Egyptian is mistreating a Hebrew. And just like most wise young leaders think, I'm gonna fix this. And what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. And now he goes into God's ministry school, and for 40 years he wanders the backside of a desert watching a few seats so, so God can get him ready to step into the calling that God put on his life. Sometimes his school for us doesn't look like how it normally looks. And so anyway, as Moses is going through this process, God calls him out. says, I'm going to use you to lead these people out. And I don't have time to get into all of that. But the, you, Prince of Egypt, Charlton Heston, y'all know the story, right? Let my people go. They come out, you know. But, but suspect, here's the thing. First thing they do is they come to a moment of opposition where God literally, like when they left Egypt, the Bible says they paid them to leave Egypt. You ever had your enemies pay you to go? Like, that's God, okay? They don't usually pay you. They kick you out, but they don't pay you to do it. So anyway, they pay him to leave, and he leaves, and, and he heads out. And First opposition they come to, they're like, oh, it's so bad, we need to go back. Again, because back isn't better, it's just familiar. And so we see this story that, that Moses is leading these people, and he has a, like, imagine being Pastor Moses. you got a church of a million, and on a good day, three like you. So Moses, we read about him, and he's doing this thing and this dance, and he's following these people. And the Bible says he gets him to this place of promise, which wasn't far away. And they come up to the place of promise, and he sends in a committee to say, "Do you think we can take it?" And the Bible tells us that twelve went in, ten came back, and said, "Yep, we got this." Two, or no, excuse me, ten came back and said, "No way, we look like we're bugs, and we look like bugs in their own eyes." Um, and two came back and said, "No, we can do this." And so as most church committees, popular opinion, rule the day, and they wander for the next 40 years so God can finish off a generation to prepare the next one to go in. So where Joshua gets ready to take over is where Moses is about to end. And, Pastor, I shared this with you, but I struggled a little bit because when I heard about, when I heard about you know, this church and it's finished and you've got your building and the debt has somewhat been relieved at this point, why then, God? would you not let him walk into the promise that he has wandered so faithfully for for these past many years why would you call it quits now don't make no sense to me right hold it see because here's the thing we think way too hollywood sometimes we think the promise is the destination but see, God knows, even in the promised land, you still got to cross a Jordan during a flood stage. You still got to bring Jericho walls down. Like, he's led you up to this moment, but his time is finished because God loves him. He's not going to make him go through what you all have to go through next. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Because it, God is more concerned about our development than he's ever concerned about our destination, It isn't about trying to get somewhere. It's to prepare us so that when we lay hold of our promise, we will be able to sustain the promise. The whole, like, get there, that, 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 that's, that's Hollywood. That's, there's an ending. There is no ending. Pastor Joel and this congregation, you will pick up the mantle and you will carry forward. And there will be more challenges and there will be more struggles. And that doesn't mean you're not in alignment with God. In fact, if there are no struggles, that's when you should be concerned that you're not in alignment with God. Because then the devil ain't got no business with you and you should be worried about that. Okay? So, so Pastor John, I believe because God loves you, you're done. You don't have to go into the... You've done your faithful service. Now you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I love the fact that you're in that school. I love that you still get to taste that. But I pray, I pray that you enjoy this beautiful family and wife that God has surrounded you with. And that the, that the latter years will be far greater than the former years. And that you will enjoy... All of that. God will multiply that to you greater than you've ever experienced before. So, so we come back to, to Joshua. See, now Moses is dead. He's finished his work, and God has now taken his mentor or mentee, Joshua, and he's raised him up. Here's just a thought I put. You know, in uncertainty, we will often reach for what is familiar, And here's my question, Arise Church. How do you reach forward to what God has for you if you're always reaching back to where you've been? Trying to think about what it was like back there. I think God has something great ahead. So if you come back to Joshua, now he is standing at this flooded river, right? And they're supposed to cross over. That's how they're going to possess the promised land. And he's ready to go forward. For the last 40 years, these people have circled the desert. And they're getting ready to step in, but they cannot step in the way that they came. Church, I want to challenge you with something. I I got a call from Pastor John as this whole deal was going down, right? Selling the old building, getting the new one. Here was the most exciting thing he had. Chris, we're going to be debt-free. Praise the Lord. Not only that, we're going to have money in the bank. Awesome. Awesome. And then we talked a little later. Chris, it's not the same. We owe money. Why? I challenge you with this thought. What the devil cannot defeat, he is often content to distract. Is what God wanted to do here... Going more into debt, was that divine direction or demonic distraction? Again, I'm challenging you to think. I'm not telling you what to think. But God has positioned this church, right? You're on the edge of stepping into a promise. But if you allow yourself to be distracted, you will wander once again. How do we move forward? Here's another thought, challenge. Compare and compete. You'll always live in defeat. Know who you are. Know what you're not. And live what you're called to be. Don't try to be everything to everybody. See, why would God move you from the south side to this side to put you in this position to make you just like everybody else Here's the truth. Before Moses died, he knew who he was. Up until this point, he struggled with that for a minute. But he knew who he was when he was looking at the promised land. And he knew his time was over and he would anoint his successor to take them in. But he wasn't taking them in. And he didn't fail in that process because the coolest part of Moses, Moses was called God's friend by God. Like I call him my friend, but how many times does he call him mine? You know, call me his. So Moses was called God's friend by God. Like this man did his thing. Um, Pastor John, thank you for knowing who you are and who you're not. Thank you for ending your season well. Too often it doesn't happen that way. I would expect nothing less from a father of the faith like you. John, I believe it's God's love that you're being released, because the road ahead will require a lot, and you have done your part. Well done, my faithful friend. Pastor Joel in Arise Church, get ready. Because, again, God is often more concerned about your development than is your destination. So how do we move into the promise and not wonder? Here's, here's the uh, verse, I know, my first verse this whole time, Joshua uh, chapter 3. So giving orders to the people, listen to this, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Leviticus priest carrying it, if you are to move out from your position and follow it, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. That's what God spoke to me. He said, Chris, you got to stay close to my Holy Spirit because after this whole COVID thing, I'm going to take you and your church to a place you've never been before. So stay close to the ark. The ark of the covenant in those days was the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. You want to be a church that really changes things and and really sees God fulfill the promise? Stay close to his Holy Spirit and let him lead you above reason, concept, ideas. Throw the church playbook away, please. Please. I'm going to be honest with you. I think most churches today are doing church for a world that the church wished still exists, but that world doesn't exist out there. I live in that world. I work in that world. I I have one day in the church. I spend most of my days outside of the church. They don't care about our lights, our smoke, our fun stuff. Here's what they care about. Do you care about me and do I matter to you? And are you willing to do something about it? Look, cool. You're a cool church. You move to the inner, what is this? Inner, I don't know. Sheboyan doesn't have a ghetto, so don't try. But, like, but like, like, you move to the inner city, that's good. But let's just be real about it. You still suspect. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're still suspect. Just because you moved here, you're like, here, we're here to help everybody. Like, you earn that. You don't get that for free. You don't get it because you changed addresses. You get it because you prove yourself. That's why you got to stay close to the Holy Spirit because he's going to lead you to places you've never been before. And it ain't going to make sense because the church playbook doesn't say to do it that way. This has been my experience, y'all. Like, Like, <laughs> some of the places God has led us has been ridiculous. I have left the church. I went co-vocational, not because I needed money, but because my community needed something to change. And God began to to, to pull my heart that way. And I'm going to tell you what, man, your building is beautiful, but what are you going to do when they come in and mess it up? What are you going to do when they break into your building and they steal your stuff to pay their drug debt? And then they got the gumption to show up on your doorstep because they signature bonded themselves out of jail In the middle of winter and they got shorts and a t-shirt on and they got no place to go. How are you going to handle that? That's where the Holy Spirit's led me. As I have followed the Holy Spirit, that's the opportunities we've had. And that's when you start to earn your ability to be relevant in that community. Will you allow God to lead you regardless of where he says to go? See, but the only way we get there is the last part of my message. It's Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Go ahead, open your Bibles there. This one I want to read. So if we're going to stop wandering, we're going to move into what God has for us. Number one, we've got to stay close to the Holy Spirit because he's about to lead us places we've never been before. Second, We've got to follow Joshua's example. In verse 13, he says this. He says, now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked, are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? Joshua was the leader. He is the commander in chief. He sneaks close to Jericho because he's scouting. So walking closer, he looks up, and now a man is standing in front of him, and not just a man, but a great and powerful man. And in those days, if you stood with a sword drawn, it was actually an act of aggression, and it meant let's fight. And so Joshua's natural response is, are you with us or are you against us? Here's what the man says in 14. He says, neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in all reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The man's like, nope, I'm not even answering your question because you're asking the wrong question. It is not me being for you or against you. It is whether you are on my side. Because I am commander of the Lord of hosts. There is only one person with that title in all of scripture. His name is Jesus. Joshua has an encounter with Jesus that day. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, asks him the most important question. The question is not, are you on Joshua's side? The right question should be, Joshua, are you on God's side? And Jesus pulls rank and says, neither. Joshua, you may lead Israel, but I'm commander in chief of the heavens and the earth. Who is this man? This man is the man above every man. He is the one who has the plan on how to accomplish and fulfill the promise And at the end of the verse, Joshua gets it right. He says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? My prayer for these church leaders, for the board of directors, Pastor Sam, Pastor Joel, and this church body would be, you would fall on your face and say, what message does my Lord have for your servant? How do you want to lead us? Where do you want us to go? What is it that you're wanting to do in and through us so that we might see God establish a presence in this community, in this area, so that we might fulfill what God has called us to do? Then there's one more part. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy And Joshua did so. If you're going to succeed, church, you need to take off your shoes. Now, Don, they're probably like, why would I take off my shoes? Well, you've been in church. We are standing holy ground, right? No. In these days, if you took off your shoes in front of another man, it actually was a transference of authority. You gave up your right to lead and you gave it to the one before you. Church, what would happen if as you're moving forward, you stay real close to the Holy Spirit. Let him lead you wherever he wants to go. And at the same time, you take off your shoes. You remind him he's the one in charge and not you. And whatever you say, and what if, what if every follower of Jesus every morning would fall on their face and say, what, ser- what message does my servant, my Lord have for his servant? That's my prayer for you. The fact that Joshua's barefoot said volumes about his understanding, not only of who God is, but also who God was to him. By removing his shoes, here's what Joshua said. If the battle is going to be won, it will not be by our military equipment, as good as it may be. It will not be by our military strategy and expertise, as smart as we may be. If this battle is going to be won, it will be not not by our strength or our endurance or our numbers. If this battle will be won, it will be won by God's power, his strength, and his spirit. It's about dying to ourselves. It's about relinquishing control and accepting the fact that he is God and we will never be. We take off our shoes. When we take off our shoes, Pastor Sam, we don't sacrifice the people we love the most because we understand it isn't about me or all my work that's going to change anything. It's only by the power of God. That means I can rest and be the husband I'm called to be because ain't, it ain't going to start with me. It ain't going to end with me. It ain't going to be done by me. It will be done by the power of God. A pastor who is always working has not taken his shoes off yet. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes is about turning into God's voice. It's about humility and vulnerability before God and before others. Sometimes I believe all the perceived success can keep us from the most successful things that matter most. I have found at times I've been too smart and I've overthought things on how to strategize and how to figure things out. When honestly, if we just take off our shoes and let God lead, he does things beyond our imagination. Right, Ryan? (laughs) I couldn't have planned it even if I tried. I'm not qualified. It isn't about being qualified. It's about taking off your shoes and letting them lead. Maybe heaven is silent for you right now because in your situation, God is waiting for you today like Joshua to take off your shoes and say, fall on your face. What message does my Lord have for his servant? Church, I believe this with all my heart. The reason Jericho fell before Joshua is because Joshua fell before Jesus. Arise if you want this cycle of wandering to stop and you want to step into your promise. Stay close to the Holy Spirit because He's going to take you where you have never been before and take off your shoes. Give up, fall on your face, and say, What message does the Lord have for His servant? Pastor Joel, Board of Elders, let God lead. Remember often, He leads without logic. If Joshua would have went to his generals and said, oh, by the way, here's how we're going to take Jericho, they'd have laughed him out the building. We're going to march six times and not say a word. And seven, on the seventh day, we're going seven times. And then the walls are going to fall. I don't think he needed to march around a building. He just needed to obey God because God needs to know, will we obey him even when it doesn't make sense? Here's the other power of that. God does not share his glory. When the walls fall, there's no way you can say, oh, we stomped real hard (laughs) and they came down. You can only say God did something greater than we ever thought could have happened. And he's the only one then who gets the glory. And then it's done the right way. There is no better way, in my opinion, to honor the faithful ministry of this family than to see you fulfill your promise. It is my prayer for you. That forward, arise, church, would just be that you would arise and fulfill the promise that God has for you. But to do so, you would stay close to the Holy Spirit and you would take off your shoes and turn the authority over to him so that he might lead you to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. I'm done.